listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. All right, Acts chapter 27. Open your Bible, please. Acts chapter 27 as we continue verse by verse through the entire book of Acts. By the time we're done, you're going to be a different person from the inside out. How about that? Courtesy of the Word of God and the power of God that is exhibited, manifest when we declare His Word. When we put His Word into action, God promises that there will be change, transformation. How many of you need a change today? How many of you need to be transformed? How many of you need to experience the power of God? Because God has a way of changing our lives from the inside out, and you're no exception. You're an example. God's going to do it right now in your life. Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul is on his way to Rome where he's going to give a defense of the gospel. That's really what he's going to do, not so much a defense of himself. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Aristarchus is probably the one that's mentioned in Paul's letter to the Colossians, the last chapter of the book of Colossians. Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, also greets you. So we're seeing history reinforcing itself and the historical accuracy of what's happening here in Acts reinforced in Paul's letters For example, in the book of Colossians, verse 3. The next day we put out at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off of Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Now, what you're seeing here, what we're seeing here is tremendous detailed accuracy, a historical account of what happened. Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, He's helping us understand he's along on this journey. He's one of the traveling companions. And so when you wonder, when you doubt, should I trust the accuracy of the Bible? Do you want to listen to somebody who's probably wearing their underwear, eating potato chips, and blogging in the 21st century? There are a lot of people out there blogging and talking about the Bible and pontificating. Yes, um, we cannot trust the historical accuracy of the Bible as they're sitting in their fruit of the looms. Greasy hands from the potato chips that they're eating or the Cheetos or whatever. And they're pontificating and acting as if they're, they're in a position to criticize the Bible. Listen, if you want to understand what happened in the first century, if you want to understand about the life of Christ, you go right to the people who were alive, living and active, who were firsthand witnesses, eyewitnesses to the events. And this is one of the things that we have tremendous courage in being able to do with the book of Acts, with Luke being the one who's writing this story. He's there as an eyewitness. Notice he's saying, we, 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 we. If you want to understand the accuracy, the credibility and embrace the authority of the Bible. 
you'd be wise to do that. If you're looking for a compass in your life, a rudder in your life to give you direction in a day and age where it's so easy to be tossed about by all the news headlines and all of the difficult situations that we're seeing in the world. Listen, if Paul could have Jesus as the rudder of his life, as the compass of his life, if the people in the New Testament times could use the Bible as the compass for their lives, then you'd be wise to do it today. Don't trust somebody who's a potato chip, underwear-wearing blogger. Don't trust people today in the 21st century who weren't eyewitnesses. This is over 2,000 years ago these events took place. If you want accuracy, if you want authenticity, if you want credibility, you go right to the source. And you'd be out of your mind not to consider the book of Acts as a historic document, a historical document, a reliable document written by the eyewitness with tremendous great detail. You'd be out of your mind not to use the book of Acts to be a rudder in your life, not to use the word of God, okay? Super important to understand. This trip would have taken under normal circumstances without any bad weather about five weeks. So it's a long trip. And just so you understand the route that they're taking, they're going north of Benghazi in the Mediterranean Sea, south of Greece. We're all familiar with Benghazi, right? We're probably sick and tired of hearing of Benghazi to a certain degree, but they're traveling in the Mediterranean Sea, north of Benghazi, off the coast of Libya and Tripoli, south of Greece. And then they're going to go up between Sicily, that large island, if it's even right to call it an island, off of the southern tip of Italy. And they're going to go in between there as they make their way up the coast of Italy, off of Naples, which is where I'm from, Naples. My ancestors are from Naples. My grandfather, Grandpa De Lucia, which means of the light. Isn't that interesting? He was from Naples, from a city called, a little town called Arpai. And Paul would have passed right up through the coast, off the coast of Arpai, into Rome. That's the route that they're taking. But this is not going to take them the regular amount of time because they encounter some difficulty. And Paul's spider sense, if you want to call it spider sense, prompting by the Holy Spirit as a prisoner, he is prompted to speak up about this. Something's not sitting right with Paul and he needs to make himself known. And here's what happens here in verse nine. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the feast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, they looked at the practicality of Paul's suggestion as well, the majority the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. There are some times when the majority's wrong. And here's a perfect instance where the majority is going to be wrong. And Paul is considered, he's perceived at this point, you're going to see a transformation in how Paul is perceived here. And even in how Paul is used by God here, Paul is simply perceived as a prisoner. Listen, buddy, we're taking you to Rome. You are the prisoner. You're not the pilot. We're going to listen to the pilot. We're going to listen to the owner of the boat. We're going to take a poll from the majority. And we are all deciding, forget about whatever you want to say in this alleged warning of what's going to happen. We're going to do what we're going to do. You're going to see a transformation here 
in how Paul is perceived and how Paul is used here, which is a tremendous encouragement for you, tremendous encouragement for me, regardless of the circumstances where God may have placed you. You may be in a set of circumstances where you might not be respected, you might be the minority, but you might have God's view on the situation. You might be in a situation where people might not want to listen to you, and you might be tempted to cave based on what you really know, not just feel, but you really know God has called you to do. Now remember, earlier, God has told you're going to suffer for me and for the sake of the gospel. If we look at chapter 23 of the book of Acts, so look with me at Acts chapter 23, verse 11, when Paul, right after he's appeared before the Sanhedrin, look at what God has told Paul, what he's promised him. The following night, the Lord stood by him, by Paul, and said, take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So I could imagine here that at this early point, at the front end of this journey, Paul is sensing in the Holy Spirit there's danger here. There's going to be loss of cargo and even loss of life. That's the early inclination that he has here. It's danger. That's the whole backdrop here that is being presented. You can imagine that Paul is probably at this point wondering, well, Lord, you told me that I'm going to Rome, but if there's loss of life and I'm one of the lives who is lost, then how is what you promised going to be fulfilled? There's going to be times in your life where you have to hold on. Listen, I'm going through that in my own life right now. Can I be honest with you? I'm going through that in my own life right now where God had made promises to me. I believe that God had made promises to me based on his word and other godly, credible people in multiple circumstances circumstances who didn't know each other, didn't know the circumstances, didn't know what God had promised me, what God had told me in other circumstances. And then what happens is life happens. Life begins to happen. And I'm telling you that as somebody who is a cancer survivor, somebody who nearly died four times, including my cancer. I'm telling you that life is what happens when you're making other plans. But the plan, the purpose, the promise of God will always prevail. And I wondered, as I looked at this passage, what might have been going through Paul's mind? Well, God, you told me I'm going to Rome, and now I'm sensing that there's going to be hardship and difficulty. I'm on this cruise ship that looks like it's a disaster waiting to happen. This doesn't look good. So Paul tries to intervene, tries to speak up to them and say, you know what? Um, I know that prisoners aren't typically respected. However, this is not a good idea. And they look at him and they say, Sit down and shut up, buddy. We're going on this cruise. So hold on, here we go. I wonder what God might have promised you in your life. You have to be careful that you don't get ahead of God and you don't put words in God's mouth. You have to know, you have to make sure that God told you to do it, that God really told you to do it. And that's why you should be basing your life upon the black and white clear teachings of the word of God, the Bible. You can take the promises of God revealed in the Bible, hold on to them for dear life, and sometimes, oftentimes, in the course of life, you are holding on to the promises of God for dear life because there are times, instances, situations, if you're really following Jesus, where life will cause you to doubt the promises of God. Paul was in a different situation because God had prophetically spoken to him. It was confirmed that God indeed did it. Remember the book of Acts is written after the fact. So we know that in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, that was really a prophetic, divinely revealed word given to the apostle Paul. So that's on par with scripture. It's objective, it's truth, it's irrefutable. 
But you need to understand that if you build your house, if you build your life on the rock of God's word, when the difficulties, when the hardships, when the temptations come, you can stand on God's word and defy what you're seeing with your own eyes, what you're experiencing. And you can hold on for dear life, the author of life, you can hold on to the Lord Jesus. And remember what Philippians chapter one, verse six says. Look at Philippians chapter one, verse six. It says this, I am sure of this. Who wrote this? The Apostle Paul, while he was under house arrest, he wrote the book of Philippians, which is a joy manual. How about that? He wrote the book of Philippians while in prison, and he says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, God, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a passage of scripture a theological truth that's presented there in Philippians chapter one, verse six, that you can and you should hold on to. The only thing you need to be careful about is putting words in God's mouth. Be careful that you don't tell God, well, God, you told me this. God might have told you that. Might have told you it through his word. But he didn't necessarily tell you how he was going to manifest the fulfillment of his word. God makes promises. It's up to God to deliver those promises the way he wants to keep them. And many people have gotten into trouble. Yours truly, I'm being honest with you, I've gotten in trouble with God where I've had to ask for forgiveness. God, you did tell me this. You did tell me that. But you didn't tell me you were going to do it that way. And God told Paul, I'm going to send you to Rome. You're going to bring the gospel to Rome. God didn't tell him he was going to do it this way. And what needs to happen in your life and in my life is the very same thing. We take comfort in the fact that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day you get to see Jesus face to face. There will be questions in life. There will be things that don't seem to resolve and don't seem to make sense. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is not a train. The light at the end of the tunnel is Jesus. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God says what he means, means what he says, delivers what he promises. Don't put words in God's mouth. You get married to somebody, you think, oh, this is going to be the best marriage on planet Earth. And then after five or 10 or 15 or 20 years, you get the battle scars and you begin to realize, listen, God didn't promise you a perfect spouse. He promised you a perfect savior despite your spouse. He promised you transformation of yourself in the midst of being married to your spouse. Stop asking God to change your spouse. Start asking God to change you. And when God begins to change you, a marvelous, amazing thing happens. Your spouse starts to change, meaning the way you see your spouse starts to change. Many people get themselves in trouble because they expect fulfillment and satisfaction to come from the things that God gives us, the spouse that God gives us. Listen, primary purpose in marriage is not to satisfy you. Even though you get a suitable helpmate, even though you become a suitable helpmate, that's not the primary purpose of marriage. The primary purpose of marriage is to glorify God. That's the primary purpose. It's the ultimate example given by God himself of the love of Christ for the church and the love of the church for Christ. Marriage is a divinely given institution from almighty God, from God himself to reflect the love of God toward his people. No wonder it would be under attack today. Of course it would be under attack today because to attack marriage is to attack in an indirect way and a more blatant way the nature, the character, the identity of God. 
And haven't you noticed that the things that are dear to God are the things that are under most attack in your life? Of course they are. Of course they are. Of course they are, but you need to be careful. You need to be careful that in the course of those attacks, you don't become devil-centered in your theology. You don't become devil-centered in your theology. The purpose of your marriage, the purpose of your life, the purpose of everything that God gives you is for his glory and his glory alone. Trust God, leave the consequences with him. Trust God, leave the consequences with him. Trust God, be faithful to God. Leave the consequences with him. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And when you see Jesus face to face, you'll be able to say, you know, Lord, you promised me that you would be faithful and you were. You promised the things that you promised me, the things that you said that you would do, you did them. And when we look back, we'll be able to say, just like the Apostle Paul, you didn't necessarily do them the way I thought they were going to happen. That's why it's one of the greatest things that you can do is stop trying to figure out how God's going to do the things that he said he's going to do. Be content in God. Be content in his promises. Put your hope in God and leave the consequences to him. Don't put words in God's mouth. Let every word that proceeds from the mouth of God be what you cling to, what you hold on to, what you build your life upon. Paul did that here, and it's what kept him through this tumultuous, unbelievable, historically significant storm. Back to Acts chapter 27. The majority had decided they're going to keep going. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. Everything's going wrong here. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison their cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, meaning this is probably involves the sail. So this is how bad this storm is. They're hanging on for dear life right now, and I bet you more than a few are thinking about, what did that prisoner warn us about? <laughs> At the beginning of this trip, what did that guy tell us? Oh, maybe we were listening to the wrong pilot. You know anybody who's had that problem? Listen to the wrong pilot in the midst of life's storms. Verse 19. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. You're out there on a ship and you're trying to navigate, what are you using on a ship to navigate and to use your charts? You're using the stars, you're using a compass, you're charting your course in relationship to what you're seeing in the sky. This is huge what's happening here because now neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days. Naturally, they have no more hope. All hope is lost. No small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Wow. And I wonder, what might have been going through the Apostle Paul's mind at this particular time? What happened to Rome? At least this is what Luke is demonstrating and expressing in his own mind, in his own heart. All hope was lost. 
There's no ability anymore to use the tackle to guide this ship in the midst of this storm. Now we can't see the stars. We were warned not to do this, but we did it anyway because the majority wanted to do it. And now it looks like all hope is lost. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, here comes Paul, the prisoner. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Is he rubbing salt into their wounds now? Hey, men, remember me? Hey, everybody. It's me, Paul, the prisoner. Remember me, the nobody? Remember, I'm the guy who said, against the majority opinion, remember, even though the pilot and the owner of the ship wanted to keep going, and y'all took that vote, y'all took that poll, all 276 of you, at least 275 of you. I wasn't part of that poll. And y'all said, <laughs> forget this prisoner. Hey, remember me? Remember how I warned you about this? Now, I don't think what Paul is doing at all is rubbing salt in the wounds because of the next words that come out of his mouth. Paul is in the midst of a difficult circumstance, and God is using the prisoner to point people to the real pilot. God is using the prisoner to point people to the real pilot. This guy is an undying, unwavering example of a spirit-filled, spirit-led follower of Jesus. He's going to follow Jesus no matter what. Whether there's good weather or bad weather, whether it seems like things aren't resolving or not, it doesn't matter for Paul because he wasn't following Jesus because of the circumstances and smooth sailing. He wasn't following Jesus because it seemed like everything was working out according to the words that he put in God's mouth. Paul had learned not to put words in God's mouth. Paul had done that when he was persecuting the church, thinking that he was doing a righteous, right thing by persecuting the church when he had zeal for God, but not a knowledge of the Savior. Paul was dedicated to being faithful to Jesus regardless of the consequences. What an example he is for you and for me. In the midst of your tumultuous storms that you might come across in life, in your marriage, you're going to be faithful to Jesus no matter what. Your spouse might not be faithful to Jesus. What about you? You made a promise to be faithful to your spouse, ultimately to be faithful to your Jesus by being faithful to your spouse. What about spouses being faithful? That's your spouse. You made a vow to be faithful to Jesus. You keep your vow. Amen. As for you and your house, serve the Lord. You might say to yourself, but I'm not married. How do I stay sexually pure? I've got all these temptations and all these urges. You understand that sexual purity is one of the ways that we are faithful to the Lord Jesus. It's faithful to the Lord Jesus. Paul is a great example for us of a spirit-filled, spirit-led individual who does not let the circumstances of life keep him from being a witness for Jesus. This guy is not concerned about his own livelihood. It's almost as if he trusts in what God had promised him. And even though he's seeing this storm in front of him, he doesn't believe the storm. He doesn't care about the storm. He says, I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care that everybody is abandoning all hope. I don't care that the majority said this. I am the minority and me and God makes the majority. When God says it and I believe it, that settles it. I'm not going to let what I'm seeing throw me off my game. These people need to hear the truth about the real pilot. God is piloting this ship, not the pilot. The real owner of this ship is almighty God, not the 
human owner. I know what God told me. It's going to come to pass. And it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. And you need to have that same attitude, that same perspective, that same dogged determination to be a witness for Jesus, regardless of what life is throwing at you in the business world, in your family life, in your neighborhood, wherever you go. In the church, it doesn't matter if you're living in a country that's going away from God. The majority of people are walking away from God, want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with Judeo-Christian values. Who gives a flying rip? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whether it's difficult times or great times, it doesn't matter. Am I serving Jesus? Are we serving Jesus because it's good, because God promised smooth sailing? Oh, Lord, rescue us from this smooth sailing approach to Christianity in the United States. When the going gets rough, God's people get going. They follow the pilot who is not the human being. You think mere mortals are in charge of what's happening in our nation? Lord, rescue us if that were the case. You think it's about people owning things and buying this or buying that, buying politicians, buying political decisions. Do you really think that that's what it's about? You don't think that the sovereignty of God is handily at work in what's happening in our nation? Now listen, please don't drop back and punt and say, don't confuse fatalism with faith. Don't throw up your head and say, well, I can't do anything about it because that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is being faithful as a witness to Jesus. He's opening up his mouth in the midst of a dark, dark circumstance, very real. No sun, no stars, no hope, everything's abandoned. And God now raises up this prisoner in the midst of his circumstances to speak hope and truth and reality when the circumstances were defying the reality that God had spoken to the apostle Paul. You know, I don't care what your circumstance is and you shouldn't either. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you keep looking at your circumstances and live your life according to your circumstances, you will never, you will never be faithful to God. You must hold on to the promises of God because the storms in life will come. You might be in the midst of one right now if Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, an example, not an exception, an example of spirit-filled, spirit-led living can do this, then you can do it in the midst of your storm, whatever you're facing. In the midst of your difficulty, whatever you're facing, you hold on to the promises of God and the details, the things that you're walking through, they're just circumstances. Amen. So what? Those are just the details. So what? God said, that he would do this. So what? Difficulty and hardship. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. He who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Haven't you noticed yet that God finishes what he starts? He's not like my house where I start all kinds of things. Ask my wife. And I don't finish them. God finishes what he starts. And he finishes strong, as in the person of Jesus Christ, who you'll finally get to see face to face.
And when you see him face to face, you'll say, mm, 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 mm. you are good. And your mercy and your love endures forever. You are good. And you who began a good work in me, look at me now. You brought it to completion. I got through all of those storms, all of those difficulties, all of those hardships, not by human strength, but by supernatural divine enablement. Look what Paul does here. Verse 21, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. This is not a contradiction of what was earlier. This is now a clarification as God apparently spoke to the apostle Paul. Look at this at verse 23. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Acts 23, verse 11, you're going to Rome. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God despite the storm. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. What faith in the promise of God? Again, it's different than today where if you have a subjective revelation from an alleged angel, it's different than the clear teaching of the word of God. Remember, you can have a word from God anytime you want it, courtesy of the Bible. Before you get off on subjective alleged revelations and dreams and all that other stuff, Build your life on the rock of God's word. It's a sure foundation. This is a different situation with Paul because we know it's part of scripture. We know that that in fact did happen in hindsight because it makes it into the record of the book of Acts. Be careful you don't put your own dreams, somebody else's dream, somebody else's inclination, somebody else's alleged word of knowledge or word of wisdom on equal footing with what we're reading here because that's not gonna make it into the page of scripture. It's not going to make it into the pages of scripture. So it's a little bit different, but the principle is timeless. Paul put his hope on the God who was his savior. God had spoken to him. God can and will speak to you through his word. And when you build your life on the word of God, the Bible, you don't need to look at the storms anymore. They're just details. You can go right through them because what God promises, he will deliver. He says what he means, means what he says, delivers what he promises. And again, be careful you don't put words in God's mouth, believing that he promised you the details when he didn't necessarily do that. What God promises you is the person of Jesus in the midst of every storm that life throws at you. You're always in safe waters no matter what the circumstances. Verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. <laughs> I love the way that seems like anticlimactic. Oh, some island. Like he doesn't even remember the details about the island because he's so caught up in the details of his Savior. Isn't that amazing? All of our lives are going to be spirit. God spoke to me through an angel last night. We're going to Rome. Everybody's going to be spirit, but we're going to run aground on some island. Doesn't even say what the name of it is. He forgets that detail. He's so consumed with his God, so consumed with his Savior, so enamored with the faithfulness of God that that's what he's fixating on. And you would do well to do the same thing. Because I don't know about you, I tend to fixate and focus on the Debbie Downer stuff. The wah. That stuff, right? The flies in the ointment. The little minutiae detail. That's uncomfortable. That's it. God wants to raise your eyesight above the details of the here and now to look to him 
as the rescuer and the savior and the deliverer. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms, 120 feet. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms, 90 feet. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for a day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Now, if it was me, it wouldn't just be suspense. Anything that would have been in my stomach would have come out onto the deck or into the ocean by that time. If you're in that type of a difficult storm, imagine trying to eat something when you've got sea legs, meaning you're all wobbly, you're dizzy, you've been tossed about. Anybody else here get seasick? I get seasick. I kid you not, I got seasick one time on a surfboard off the coast of Oregon. I did. Paddling out there, imagining, bottom, 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 bottom. I, I was, I was in a wetsuit and everything, and I got seasick. Went out there, hit one wave, came crashing in, and got stuck in a little alcove where they had to come rescue me. Anyway, for another day. So Paul is encouraging them that they need to eat something. Verse 34. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. He reiterates the promise of God in defiance of what they're seeing and experiencing. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he's being a witness in the midst of the difficulty. That's why they all had to stay there. Nobody's going anywhere. You all have to stay here if we're going to be saved. Giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. So counterintuitive. You know, people need to see you at the workplace where you're at peace in the midst of a storm, where other people are dropping F-bombs and looking at the situation in the world and calling this person that name and that person another name just doing what people do. And there you are breaking bread and giving thanks to God. Thanking God for the midst of this storm? Oh, he's thanking God for who God is in the midst of the storm. And it must have been such a contrast to what was happening on that ship. Well, everybody else is vomiting up who knows what. Out of Paul's mouth come these words of praise and adoration to God. You ever stop to think that God might have placed you in the midst of a storm so that you could do that very same thing as a spirit-filled, spirit-led follower of Jesus Christ? What a humble individual Paul was, huh? Faithful to God, humble, in the midst of the eye of the storm. What an example he is for you and for me today of how God is able to elevate us, put us exactly where he wants us to be for people who need to see the testimony of Jesus in the midst of their hardship and difficulty. Verse 36, then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So now they have no more food that they're going to be eating. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. 
at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach, the only thing they had left. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf, the back of the boat. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. God had promised that he was going to keep all of them safe and no one would be harmed, and now God had delivered on what he promised. In my hand is my wife's engagement ring. I asked for it back today for a good purpose so that I could show it to you. Do not ask your wife back for the engagement ring. Don't ask your wife for the engagement ring back unless you have very good reason. You know what's significant in this particular passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 27? It's not only what is there, it's what's not there that strikes me in particular. It's what is not in Acts chapter 27 that should capture our attention. You know, if you got married, you probably did this, you probably got your wife an engagement ring, and they differ in size, they differ in the layout of the ring, all types of differences when it comes to an engagement ring, but they all have something in common. There's usually a precious stone, typically a diamond. Sometimes it can be a ruby or a sapphire, depending on what the woman tends to like. And then there are prongs that are holding that stone in place, holding on to it for dear life so that it's not lost with the passage of time. And the purpose of an engagement ring, just any engagement ring, is for the eye to be drawn to the stone. Whether it's kind of precious metals, whether it's white gold or whether it's yellow gold or whether it's 14 karat or 18 karat or 22 karat gold, whatever kind of precious metals used and whatever kind of prongs are used to hold the diamond in place, it's all designed to draw the attention to the stone because that's the object of attention. It's a statement that's being made. And here what we're seeing in this amazing account of Acts chapter 27 is the absence of the name Satan, the absence of the devil being blamed for anything. Because this is not about what the devil is doing. It's not about what Satan's doing. It's about what God is doing in the midst of the storm. And many of God's people have embraced a satanic theology, a devil-centered theology in their lives where it really has no place. Where it's all about, well, look what the devil's doing. I'm going through so much difficulty because the devil is doing this or Satan is doing that or spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare this, spiritual warfare that. And it all becomes one epic tale about how you're under attack by the devil. Well, this was a tremendously missed opportunity by Luke. If that's the case, if that's the way we're supposed to view our lives, this was a royally missed opportunity by Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to not introduce the devil as being the agent of attention in this shipwreck. And I think it's a great example for you and for me today that spiritual warfare is not about what the devil's doing, it's about what God's doing. Spiritual warfare is always and only about what God is doing. And there are certain circumstances and times where you don't even want to bring up the name of the devil because he's not sovereign. It's not what the devil's doing in your marriage 
It's what God wants to accomplish in your marriage. Now, maybe the devil was opposing this ship. Maybe it was something that was taking place so that at the hand of God himself, Paul was being humbled more and more to depend upon God, that God was sending Paul into the storms of the lives of all the Roman soldiers and the other prisoners so that they could see that there was a savior who would deliver them from the real issue that they had in life, which was not the chains and the shackles, humanly speaking, but the chains and the shackles of sin. And they needed to see their savior. You got to be very careful in your life that your life doesn't just become one big epic tale of what the devil is doing, how the devil is doing this, Satan's doing that, there's a demon behind this door, there's a demon behind that door, and it's all this epic struggle of trying to overcome what the devil's doing. No, that is not what your life in Christ is about at all. Your life in Christ is this, Philippians 1, 6, being certain of this, that he who began a good work in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus when you get to see him face to face. Your life is not about, my life is not about, your family is not about, my family is not about, this church is not about, your church is not about, this nation is not about, nothing is about what the devil is doing, even prophecy and eschatology, the study of end times, it's not about what the devil is doing, Lord help us, he is. It's always about what God is doing and it's about whether or not and how you are being faithful in the midst of whatever happens, whatever the cause. Stop trying to figure out what's causing it. Just remember that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train. He is Jesus and he will complete. He will deliver what he promises. He will deliver what he promises. He says what he means. He's always on time and never late. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. And this is exactly what we're seeing manifest. Paul had the ability to write it in the book of Philippians. He had the ability to write it from experience after experience after experience after experience. Ain't no storm big enough to get me to sit down and shut up about Jesus. There's no circumstance in life that is scary enough and frightening enough to make me back off from being faithful to Jesus. God makes promises. It's up to us to be faithful. Be faithful to God no matter where he's placed you, whether it's a, a ship that looks like it's shipwrecked, whether it's a sinking boat, it doesn't matter. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. <laughs>